Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, this is Richard and Linda Ayer, and we are on the road. We're just uh, in a very pleasant part of the road right now. It happens to be where in Hawaii, looking out over the blue Pacific Ocean and thinking good thoughts and happy thoughts. Uh, we have been with some really fun families this week. It happens to be ours, but uh, I'm sure you'll all agree that your family has a special spot in your eye, too. We have a family that is living on Maui. Fortunately, Chris, we actually, we have a speech today. We're in uh, Waikiki in Oahu in Honolulu right now, and in a couple of hours we'll be giving a speech here, but we thought, why not just go over to Maui for a week before we get there and visit our great little family over there. They have quite a story. Before we get to them, though, it is interesting for you regular listeners to know and understand that we're not just traveling around for the fun of it, although that wouldn't be a bad reason to travel. And it is fun. We, we almost always manage to combine what we call the inner and the outer, the outer being what we do these days for a living, our writing and our speaking and the other things we do, and the inner being what happens inside of our own family. And it's quite fortuitous that we can often combine the two. And so here we were for a week before our we're, we're working today, we're speaking today, hard, hard work. Huh, right, right, as we overlook the beach here. But up, but up before that, during the last week, we've been over on Maui living with, I would say of our nine children, probably the one, number five, who lives the most unique lifestyle and perhaps, arguably, the one who follows our advice best regarding putting your family first, putting your children first, prioritizing your wife and kids above everything else, including your career. Well, they have carved a pretty interesting life for themselves here. There are a kind of crazy little hippie family. Um, he is a contractor, built seven luxury homes in St. George uh, several years ago. And then, Before that, in Las Vegas, built $10 million homes and got used to the possibility or the appearances or the ambiance of real luxury and then entirely turned his back on it. Um, they, well, the recession hit, which was one of the uh, reasons they turned their back on. No, it was purely decided. just their own choice. Yeah. <laughs> they sold their house for half of what it was worth, just like everybody else was doing at the time, in St. George, down at the cliffs. And then they um, got out a map, and they decided where they would like to live on the face of the earth. What, where would it be fun to live for a while? And the pin came down on New Zealand. So they uh, went to New Zealand with their little family. Uh, they had one toddler, and Asia was pregnant, about eight months pregnant. And they lived in a station wagon for a while until they found a house. And they bought the house and uh, totally flipped it, made it into something beautiful, and sold it at the end of the year. They can only stay it for a year because of their visa. Um for the same amount as it would to make salary for a whole year. So more, actually more, more than doubled their value. And then, then they, they realized this was a pretty easy way given their skill set and their nomadic nature. And so they just have been doing it ever since. They did it in the Northwest up in Squim. 
Washington, very near Forks, Washington, which is where the vampire stories occurred. <laughs> if you don't happen to know that. Uh, Twilight is big up there, although probably bigger in other places. But anyway, beside the point, um, they uh, found themselves a little farm up there. Uh, the A little old farmhouse that was about to fall apart. The floor was so crooked and rickety, they were afraid their grand piano would fall through, but it did not, and they remodeled that and um, fixed it up into something just charming and lovely, along with a lot of farm animals, pigs, sheep, and chickens. Asia's specialty, I must say, is chickens. But let me just say, to justify this, I don't, I don't, I feel more need to justify their lifestyle than they do. They don't feel any need to justify it at all because to them it's so very simple. It's the idea, in a nutshell, that we want to be around as much as we possibly can with our children while they are young. And so that's basically what they've decided to do. Now, what, what they'll do when their children grow up and move on is anyone's guess. I mean, they might actually work somewhere and have a traditional career. But for now, and again... I don't want to suggest that they recommend this for everyone or that we recommend this for everyone, but for them, what a remarkable lifestyle to basically spend most of their time with their family. The way they're doing it on Maui, same thing, found a house. Everyone said, oh, you can never do that kind of lifestyle in Hawaii. It's just way too expensive. You'll never be able to do it. But they did. They came over, and everyone said the cheapest house on Maui is half a million dollars. Good luck. And they that's not their theory. They they could buy high-end houses and make them worth even more and sell them. But their theory is to get something very simple. And by golly, they, they defied all the experts, found a house for $160,000, a dump of a house, I might add. But one that had potential it was an old plantation house with high ceilings and just a complete mess inside. But they, now it's been a year, and they've fixed it, and it's a gorgeous house. Beautiful bamboo floors, beautiful louvered windows, right in paradise. Well, I think besides just being be with the kids so much, as Richard just said, they also are really working to be self-sufficient. They think it's so important. They're very green, very, very green. Um, Jonah keeps finding these old Mercedes diesels, and he converts them to greasels, which means they pick up grease at the Mexican restaurant around the corner for their gas, and they've gone 282,000 miles. Without, penning a, without spending a single penny on gas. <laughs> and now they have a chicken farm on their little space there. Um, Asia has 40 chickens. We're going to start laying eggs next month. And they go for about $8 a dozen in um, Maui. So that, not only that, but Jonah's built um, some boxes for plants. What are they called? Well, he does a lot of little projects that bring in a little money. Oh, no. And no, also... Planter boxes. Planter boxes, but they're big boxes. So grow boxes is what they are. And they have all kinds of vegetables and herbs, and they're growing fruit. They have an orange tree. They have fresh orange juice every morning. People give them guavas. Uh, Macadamia nuts. He chops open uh, with a bolo knife and whacks open a big coconut and makes a homemade granola. <laughs> Sells the homemade granola at the uh, fresh market. market, farmer's market. So 
you know, they do little things to get the money they need, but honestly, the amazing thing is how little money they need because of their choice to live so simply. And, and Jonah loves to say this. He loves to say there are really two ways to be financially independent. One is to have unlimited money. The other is to have very limited needs. We have chosen the latter. <laughs> and still, there are needs. I mean, the kids are in swim, on swim team. Uh, they go to school. Two of them are in the public school around the corner, but um, their oldest daughter is in homeschool, which is um, home three days a week and virtual in virtual school. And then she goes to school two days a week to another town where uh, they learn just the most amazing things. They're going to the Maui Aquarium this week. I mean, they are learning so much, not only about just what you need to learn to be in school, but about being frugal, about, in fact, their oldest daughter already has $1,000 in the bank that she has earned herself. Well, that's the other big part of it is they, they have put themselves in a position. I don't know if this was one of their objectives or a byproduct of how they've chosen to live, but they don't have entitled kids. I mean, that, that concept is the furthest thing from their kids because when the kids want something, the answer is always, of course you can have it, start saving. Go find a way to earn some money and then um, go buy whatever you want. And so the kids really do take a lot of the responsibility for their own things, even even as young as they are, the oldest one 11 and the second one 8. But they've learned that they can actually have an entrepreneurial spirit. And this oldest one, we wrote an article on Aniston not long ago and how she had... Uh, wanted a horse. And again, her parents said, well, sure, you can have a horse if you can afford it. Well, she went door-to-door cleaning people's toilets. She did lemonade stands. She did everything you can imagine until she saved enough not only to buy a horse, but to buy the feed and the tack and the horseshoes for the horse. What a lesson she learned. And so, Again, I have to. I almost feel like I have to keep saying this. We're not suggesting everyone could live this way or would want to. And, and I have to say that if just one of them was like this, that their favorite place in the world is is the DI uh, to shop. Um, you know, Goodwill stores. Really stores. bad, a bad problem. But it is amazing that they're both like this so much. Um, I just think, oh, I wonder if they're resenting this, and then the other one turns out to be more conservative than the other one. It's just hilarious to watch them. Well, and there's a, there is, I should say this, too, because they'd want this said if they knew we were talking about them today. There's a philosophy underlying it, and it, it, you handed out it, whether it's a green philosophy or a, a off-the-grid philosophy, but essentially how I think they would say it is, We've got to quit consuming things in our society and start recycling them, start reusing them, start quit creating so much junk and so many landfills and so much uh, pollution and so on. So when they go to a thrift store and buy a dress or a pair of shoes, they don't think of it as, oh, wow, I just, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a charity case and I... I I just saved myself some money. Otherwise, wise would have spent. They think of it as recycling those articles, which otherwise would probably end up in a landfill somewhere. That's the same way they think of using vegetable oil to run their cars or putting a solar panel on their roof or whatever they do. And you may say, well, if you don't recommend this for everyone, why are you telling us about it in such detail? And the answer is when 
people see someone doing something this extreme for the purpose of being with their children more and spending a greater amount of energy and time on their highest priority rather than on a lower priority like a career, then people may not say, well, i got to do that same thing, but at least they say, wow, is there any way I can adjust or alter or make some little fine-tuning things in my own life where I can spend more time with my kids while they're still young? It's so true, and we don't need to think that um, their house looks like it's just full of garbage sale stuff, because it really is. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> but yeah. it is absolutely beautiful. Asia has a lot of class, and she also has some idiosyncratic credits because she was Miss Las Vegas, and she graduated from Harvard as an undergrad. Um, so, you know, she has a lot of class, and that's well, and they, and they fabulous. Have, and they have some money in the bank, so they never feel like, oh, we're forced into this lifestyle. They feel like we chose it, and we don't have to justify it to anyone, and I think that's the most refreshing part. Well, it really has been an inspiration to be with these kids this week. Honestly, we have been to the Cub Scout uh, honor meeting, uh, which we haven't done for many years, even though we do have five Eagle Scouts. We've been to a lot of those. The Court, court of Honor. That's yeah, the proper term. Name after I haven't been there for so long. But anyway, uh, to swim team, to uh, friends, to beaches, beach after beach, and having so much fun that they have all the equipment you possibly want to dive or snorkel or whatever you want. So um, we'll, we'll be back in just a minute or two, and we'll tell you something a little different about what we're going to do tonight and what we're going to do in a couple of days in Cleveland. It's been a great um, week for us, and I hope it has been for you, too, as we enter into the Christmas season. It's just quite amazing that Christmas is on us again, and we're going to be glad, actually, to get home and get going on Christmas, because there's a lot to do. We have kids coming home for Christmas this year, which is unusual. For years, we've been going to them because they have all these little families that they're taking care of, and now our youngest baby said, come on, one Christmas at home, come on. Let's do it. So we think we have five 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 little families coming home over the river and through the woods. Oh, no, that's Thanksgiving. Right. Anyway, they're coming for Christmas. But we want to spend a little time the second half of this show um, sharing a couple thoughts with you that we're going to share with our audience as parents tonight here in Hawaii and then couple of nights from now in Cleveland, and then a couple of nights from then in Boise. So that's three pretty uh, dissimilar uh, places, but we're going to be talking, We, you know, we always talk about parenting, of course, and we talk about the entitlement trap that so many parents are letting their kids fall into or sometimes pushing them into. But we're going to do something a little different to start out with tonight. In fact, um I'm going to mention this. Linda doesn't even know this, and then she's going to give me a little clue of one of the things she's going to do. When you speak as often as we do, you have to kind of switch it up every once in a while, or you get bored, or your partner gets bored, and I don't want Linda getting bored with what I say. So I think I'm going to start off tonight. I mean, we've done a little of this before, but I'm going to ask this. This is a young group of parents, probably mostly in their 40s, quite affluent, and... Um, 
quite type A in most cases. And I'm going to start off by asking him, how long do you hope to live? What do you hope? And what we usually get when we ask that, it's quite interesting. We get one group that says, ah, maybe 70, 75. And we say, well, why don't you want to live longer than that? Well, because after that, you're not much good, and you're not too well, and you're not too firm, and your your life doesn't have much quality. So that's sort of one take on the question. And then there's usually at least that many and often quite a few more who say, well, as long as I can, hopefully well into my 90s. And we say, why? And then you get some really interesting answers. People say everything from, well, I'm just, I'm just a curious person. And I just am really, really anxious to know what, what the world's going to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now and I really want to see the world in 40 years. What, what's happened by then with all the advancements being made? Or you get others saying very, charming and sort of personal things like, well, I'd really like to live to see my grandchildren each get happily married. Or, you know, one guy the other day said, well, I want to win a national tennis tournament and I'm not good enough to win one now, but if I outlast everyone, I might win one when I'm 90. So you get a lot of different reasons on why people want to live a long time. But then tonight I'm going to ask him, well, what do you think... What do people live for when they're in their 20s? What do they live for when they're in their 30s? What do, what do people really live for in their 40s? And so on, right up the line. Because I think it changes so dramatically. A lot of people in their 20s are living for conquest or for winning or for getting ahead or for you know, uh, proving themselves or maybe even, heaven forbid, for revenge or for some sort of personal motive that has to do with competitiveness and and so on. And then as you get older, 30-year-olds are still living for a lot of that, but maybe now a little more for their own children. And and 40-year-olds, now some of their children are actually leaving home. What are they living for? Well, some of them are now saying, well, I wish I could go back and live my 20s over again because I'm not sure I prioritize my kids. But Anyway, the point is the answer changes as people get older. And when you get the people in their 60s or their 70s, what are you living for? Now it's almost always I'm living for family. I'm living for love, for my relationships. I'm, I'm living to try to leave a legacy. I'm living to, to be useful, to make contributions, to be helpful to people who I, I love or who I have a stewardship over. And it really, really changes a lot. So we're going to get into those kinds of discussions. And then I'm going to ask them what they think are the elements of a full life, a, full, a life of fullness. I like that word, a full life. Of course, it's a scriptural word in John chapter 10, verse 10. Christ says, I come to bring you life and to bring it more abundantly or more fully. And other religions contemplate various notions of full, full life. And I think it'll be interesting, we've never done this before, to find out what people think are the elements of a full life. I'm sure they'll say, well, health. I'm sure they'll say family. I'm sure they'll say love. I'm sure they'll say uh, fulfillment and, uh, you know, doing something useful. And I think it'll be fascinating to get those answers up on a big whiteboard and 
to, and then maybe to ask him one other question. What do you What do you think will be the definition of a full life when you're sixty or when you're seventy? What elements will you have to have to really feel your life is full? And I wonder if it'll go the same direction as the other question, and if people will be even more oriented to relationships and to um, family and to those that they love as they contemplate what will be a full life as they're older. Now, maybe you can see where I'm going with this, uh, Linda. I want to get them to a point where where I can sort of make this connection that uh, – there's an irony in life, and oftentimes it is that it takes us until we're 50 or 60 to know really what we're living for. And the irony is that by then, it may be almost too late. In other words, someone who realizes in his 50s or 60s, oh man, what I'm really living for is my children and my wife and my, my relationships in life, my friends, and may look back and say, well... Darn it, my best chance to really make a difference with these people who I love is not in my 50s. It's back when I was in my 30s, and why didn't I get it a little sooner? So we're going to try to use that methodology to get people who are now in their 30s or 40s thinking about what they can do right now to be sure that they're creating a full life, both for their immediate future and for their distant future when they're a little bit older. Um, and I actually <clears throat> plan to take a few minutes and just talk to the women that are there. And uh, actually, I'll be talking along the same lines, but maybe with just a little different twist, in thinking about beginning with the end in mind. In the end, how do you want your children to remember you? And sadly, I wrote a book when all the kids were home, uh, with all nine kids running around the house, and I was frustrated about three-fourths of the time because kids weren't doing that what they were supposed to do. And I wrote a book called I Didn't Plan to Be a Witch, which I didn't plan on that. But, you know, you just kind of get to the end of your rope and lose it. And <clears throat> I learned to deal with that and saying, sorry, sorry, you know, let me tell you about my day, all the things that have happened to me. And then... Yeah, and we got you a nice, really nice, luxurious, tall witch's hat. Right, yeah, we did. I love my hat, and, you know, I just kind of got to that. I put it on when I was one of those moods, and um, the kids knew what was coming. But I also found that they would write me notes back saying, you know, sorry, sorry, I know it was bad today, but this is what happened to me. And so I think that it goes both ways. But I, I do think it's so important to think about how you want your kids to remember you. When you're right in the middle of the muddle, in the fire, in the trenches, as we call it, it is so hard to deal with children on the day-to-day. And all the problems and all the crises that come up, and I must say, especially single mothers, wow, you have to do that on your own without somebody to help you make all the decisions. And um, I do think, though, that it's important to think ahead. And even as grandparents, I think it's important to think, how are my grandchildren going to remember me? Um, it's important to make cookies with them and, and have fun with them and so on, but what do you really value and what do you want them to value? Um, so is it books? Is it poetry? Is it memorizing things? Um, we had I had my grandchildren on memorizing the scripture last year. That's my favorite. And they've been using it all year. And I think they'll remember me uh, forever, even after I'm gone, because that was my favorite scripture and or favorite quote. 
So really think about what you want your grandchildren to learn from you. Maybe it's about their ancestors and where they came from. Maybe it's something of real value, what you absolutely value, whether you value honesty more than anything else, let them know that. And um, it's just, it's so fun to just take the kids to movies and just have fun with them. But you've got to remember that we've got to make a lasting impression on these kids that will last for generations. Well, and you're talking about grandparents, but of course parents. That's the main point we're going to try to make tonight is that the sooner people start thinking about the very things that we normally don't think about until later in life, our legacy, what our kids will remember about us, what we have contributed to the world and to our families and so on. A lot of those thoughts which unfortunately start to crowd their way into our mind as we're a little older the key is to try really do our best to think about those things earlier before we get too far into it so we hope that gives you some food for thought and we've had a great time this week we hope you have too and we hope you'll join us again uh, probably uh, tomorrow or whenever we're on again. I think we're on every day. And well, I think they run through. the show every day, yeah. but we're going to be on live. If you want the live show, come on with us Mondays at 4.30. And so we'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road. <laughs>